0: Hey, I want to give a shout out to our online community. I had an opportunity to meet uh, another family that lives out of town and uh, met them last week and they talked about how that's been a great encouragement to them and you guys have been a blessing to them to be able to provide that. So give it up for our online people. Thanks, man, for tuning in with us. We're thrilled to have you here. So I, I had to ask some people this week to help me. Uh, with my sermon, and so you, now you know we're in a bad spot when I'm you know, saying I need some stuff. And so I, I chose some people that I wanted to ask them a very specific question because I wanted to know what it was like to be them. And what I mean by that is the people that I chose are some folks that I know who have kind of a unique thing about them, uh, and there's a part of their story that maybe not everybody has that part of the story. And so I wanted to know, what is it like to be you in light of what you do or who you are, that kind of stuff. And so as an example, I I sent a question to a friend of mine, she teaches some of our kids in, in elementary school, and I said, what is it like to be a school teacher? And so she thought about that a little bit and she sent me back some answers. I want you to check out this answer. It's like being a mother, a father, a best friend, a detective, a camp counselor, a nurse, an actor, an IT guy, a lifeguard, a custodian, a photographer, a psychologist, a dietitian, an author, a lab tech, a server, and a garbage collector, all at the same time for 25 different kids. Man, we don't pay them enough, do we, huh? That is what it's like to be a teacher. She said, it's like walking a daily fine line between doing what you know the kids need and what you know is right but igniting a possible inferno of criticism from parents and administrators. That's why God didn't call me to be a teacher because I would have caused some fires about that. I asked one guy, what's it like to be a judge? Have you thought about that? What must it be like to sit in that seat? He wrote back and said, it's like being a mannequin because I may be cursed at, cried to, or begged with, and I cannot show any emotion. Man, Judge Judy needs a lesson from that dude, doesn't she? He also said, it's like being the king because I have to decide what's right and what's wrong, and I have to punish the wrong. And I know this guy. It takes an incredible sense of wisdom to be able to do his job. That's what it's like to be him. I had somebody introduce me to a guy about a year ago who's become a really good personal friend of mine, and I sent him a text this week, and I said, what is it like to be a professional baseball player? And so here's what he sent back. He said, it's like being able to do what you dreamed as a kid and be able to live that dream every day. Man, how lucky would you all be if you could live out whatever your dream was? He also said, it's like the worst of loneliness because you are away from your home and your wife and your kids for far too long. Sometimes we forget those are real people with real families. One of the most naturally funniest guys I know, I sent him this question. What is it like to be married to a pregnant woman? And here's what he responded. It's like learning when you let the temperature get above 70 degrees, that you have committed a marriage felony. So he learns that. He said it's like learning WebMD is the worst invention in the history of the internet. Because a bellyache could be constipation, or it could be Ebola. Who knows, flip a coin, okay? So he's learning that. Now the reason I did all that was kinda set up this idea. So if somebody came to you, right now, and they ask this question, what is it like to be a Christian? I mean, what would your answer be? Maybe somebody that you might be working with, or maybe somebody you go to school with, or you, you know out in the, in the social life somewhere, maybe a friend of yours, maybe a relative of yours, and they're starting to kinda show some interest in all this Christianity stuff, and they seek you out, and they say, can you tell me what is it like to be a Christian? I mean, what would your answer be? And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but Jesus spent some time answering that very specific question. He described what it's like to be a Christian. Now, if you've never read a lot of the New Testament, you might not be aware of the fact that Jesus was an incredible teacher. That's really what he was by profession, he was a teacher. And whether it was a small group of people that he was talking to, or whether there was a large mass of people, he usually taught with stories. Jesus was a masterful storyteller. And we call those, the technical word we give those, is parables. And and I brought this for you in case you're kind of new to that term. A parable has been said to be an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And there's probably a a better technical word, a a parable, uh, how you can define that. But I think that's a really good, healthy way to think of it, is that it is a story that kind of everybody would be able to relate to and understand, but it has behind it a spiritual lesson that they want to teach. And so when Jesus taught, when Jesus taught, he was really heavy on stories, on parables. He he taught as a storyteller. Look look at this verse where it kind of describes that a little bit. It said, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. Now, Now watch this. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Now, that's probably an exaggeration where Matthew's just trying to get across the point that when Jesus taught, he did so often with stories. That's why I think it would have been incredible to be able to sit and listen to him teach because of these electric, fascinating parables that he told. Now, y'all know I'm a numbers guy, so watch this because I think it's important. There are 40 parables that Jesus taught that we have in our Bibles. 40 stories. 11 of those stories are mentioned in our Bible multiple times. What that means is there's sometimes stories are so good, man, they just gotta be retold. Now of the 40, and this is where we're going for a while, so stay with me. Of the 40, 14 of them, 14 out of the 40. In other words, this was a big deal for Jesus. 14 out of the 40 dealt early in the story with the word like. Put that up there. And what Jesus did in those stories is he said, I wanna give you a story, and when you understand the story, this is like what it means to be a Christian. This is like what it is to be in the kingdom of God. And so 14 different times in the Bible, we have this explanation of Jesus of this is what it's like to follow him. And so that's kind of a fascinating thought that we have in our Bible 14 different times where Jesus described this is the expectation to follow me. This is what it's like to be a Christian. And so those 14 places in the Bible are magnified in importance. That's a great study if you ever want to get into it. Look at every parable what Jesus said, this is like. Now what we're going to do over the summer here at Eastside, we're going to do this for a few weeks now, is we're going to pick some of those 14 out. And we're going to talk about one of them when we gather together on a weekend. And we're going to look at how Jesus answered the question, This is what it's like to be a Christian. And then he told a story about it. So if you're in the room and you're attached to Jesus and he is your Lord and your Savior and you're doing everything you possibly can to be a good follower, I want you to listen to this story because Jesus says, this is what I expect of you. And if you're just kind of evaluating this thing and you're just kind of checking out Christianity and what it's all about, you're gonna hear the details of what it means to follow him. So of the 14, the very first one that we're gonna start is called the parable of the weeds, and I wanna kind of introduce to you what that means. I wanna talk to you a little bit about a story of my own. Back in the early pathway days, um, when we would get together and talk about different things we expect as members of our church. I used to tell the story when Susan and I were, were really young. We moved, um, for the first time that we ever moved away from our hometown, and we were in this church in central Illinois, and we moved there, and we didn't know anybody. We knew nobody. And it was the first time as young kids, we weren't around our parents and our families, and so we had to meet new people and meet new friends. And I wanted to meet some people in the community, so I had heard about a thing called a Kiwanis Club. And a Kiwanis Club is kind of a community club, and I thought, I will be a part of the Kiwanis Club, and I'll meet some people. And I found out then that you couldn't just join it, you had to have a member of the Kiwanis Club invite you to join it. And so they hooked me up with a guy named Joe. And Joe said, man, come on, I'll sponsor you, and you can be a part of it. And so the Kiwanis Club in that little town met on Tuesday at noon. They had lunch together at the local Elks Club. And so I showed up, and they'd have a dinner. They ate together, and they uh, they had a speaker. They'd bring in a speaker, and then they had some business that they conducted, and my very first day there, I was the business. They were going to allow me to become a member of their institution. And so we got done with the guest speaker and the meal, and the president stood up, and he had one of those grand poobah Fred Flint's own hats on or something. And he said, the business today is a new member. And Mr. Dave Hastings, why don't you come up here? He's the preacher of the church out on the highway. And everybody did, yeah, 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 and clapped. And they welcomed me to the club, and they put a nice little lapel, a pin on my lapel. You know, and I was a, I was a member now. And he said this in front of everybody. He said, Dave, I'm gonna give you a few things. And he picked up a paper and he handed it to me. He goes, this is, um, this is your lunch bill for the next uh, few months. And um, we meet every Tuesday. And whether or not you come, we make your food. So you gotta pay for it ahead of time. So he gave me a bill in front of everybody. I got a lunch bill for the next three, four months in my hand, and then he handed me another piece of paper and he said, now we went ahead and put you on a schedule for, we put flags around the square, it was like Mayberry, you know, and they, they put these monster flags on the 4th of July every year, and, and there were about a 1,000, I mean, it was an enormous job, and they had a schedule, and they said, we went ahead and put you on a schedule, and they gave, gave me the schedule when I'd be working on the 4th of July, and then they said, the biggest thing we do as a group is we have an annual prayer breakfast, we invite all the politicians, all the teachers, all the leaders. It's the biggest thing that happens in this town. And it's a, it's a community prayer breakfast. We eat and we pray. And since you're a preacher, we went ahead and made you the chairman. And and then they thanked me. And I went in and I sat down. And I'm in shock. I just wanted to meet people, okay? And, and now I got a bill that I didn't know I was going to have. And I got to tell my wife, baby, we ain't do nothing on 4th of July. I'm putting up flags. And I'm running the biggest thing in town. And I sat down and looked at Joe. And I said, Joe, Dude, I didn't know I was getting into all that. And Joe looked at me confused, and he said one of the most prophetic things any human being has ever said to me. He said, Dave, if you're going to be a Kauanian, you got to act like a Kauanian. That's what we do. We eat on Tuesdays, and we serve the community. And that is exactly what Jesus did with his like parables. If you're going to be a Christian, this is what you do. And so of the 14, I want you to take your minds over the next few months, and I want you to zero in on six of them. And the very first one is called the parable of the weeds. I want to read it for you. I'll have it up here on the screen as well, but I just want to read this simple little story that Jesus told called the parable of the weeds. It's in Matthew chapter 13, and it starts at the 24th verse, and it says this. Jesus told them another parable, and here it is. The kingdom of heaven is like, see that? Like, this is what it's like to be in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like, a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he said. And the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until harvest. That's imperative, you see that sentence. Let both grow together until harvest. At that time, I will collect the harvesters. First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So that's his story. Now, when I was, when I was going through my education uh, to learn how to kind of do what I do a little bit, I'm still trying to learn how to do it, I remember my professors always telling me that parables have one driving point. One point. And, and, and sometimes the tendency is to think in terms of, many of my staff members know the shotgun, where, where you read something in the Bible, and you, it's got this point, that point, that point, and that point, and there are 15 things you're learning there. And our professor said, don't take that approach with parables. Parables have one point. Now that I've spent my lifetime trying to understand the Bible a little bit, I would tend to say that's probably true. Most parables have only one point. There's a few exceptions, but most of them have one point. So when I jump into the parable of the weeds that I just read, what is the one thing that Jesus was trying to teach that this is what it's like to be a Christian? This is it, what's the one thing? And I want to put it into a sentence for you so that you can kind of catch the drift of it. Life as a Christian is like, here's what it's like, fighting a daily battle between the presence of good and the presence of evil. And so if somebody came to you and said, what is it like, man, to love Jesus? What's it like to be in a church? What's it like to have a home of Christian people or your family? What's it like for Jesus to be your Lord? It could be said this. Well, here's the deal. It is accepting this fact that you will battle daily with two forces. One will be good and one will be evil. And Jesus told the story in agricultural terms. And so you got your, your, your gardens at your house and your vegetable gardens and you put your little seed in there and not too long the things start popping up and you're thinking, man, we're gonna have some good corn this year or something. And then these other things start popping up, don't they? And they're weeds. And if you want, you can pull the weeds out but they're gonna keep coming, they're gonna keep coming, they're gonna keep coming, and maybe the best thing is just wait till the end of the year and then take all the good stuff that you got and enjoy it and just till all that other garbage up. And Jesus uses that analogy to say, this is what it's like to be a Christian. Now everybody catch me, listen carefully to this. Becoming a Christian does not mean that now I don't have to deal with the weeds. And sometimes we kinda mess that up a little bit and we think if I become a Christian, now I don't have to deal with the bad stuff. The reality is that sometimes weeds come in the form of hardships in your life. And sometimes weeds come in the form of opposing value systems from culture that are contrary to the truths of God in his word. Sometimes weeds are temptations. And regardless of what kind of weeds you have pop up into your life, we Christians need to know that as long as we are on this earth, we will battle weeds. There is no such thing as a Christian life on easy street where weeds don't come in and mess with you. And so I wanna give you some tips dealing with weeds. I'm going to show you some places in the Bible where it talks about weeds and there are strategies of how to maneuver the weeds. Here's an example, one that I want to show you. Do not be surprised by the weeds, don't be surprised when they come. I've said this many times in a church our size, we have a crisis every day. Some of us live our Our whole life, and we hope we get through a year without any major crisis. In a church our size, with the many people that we have, there is a crisis with somebody every day. And have you ever had something unwanted happen to you, a weed pop up? Have you ever said this? I cannot believe this happening to me. Anybody ever said that? Am I the only one? I cannot believe this happened to me. How many of y'all thought, I cannot believe this happening right now? Anybody ever experienced that? And what makes it worse is if you're a Christian, it kind of magnifies it because you may not say it to God, but here's what you think. And I've learned he knows what you're thinking. You might as well tell him. Here I am trying my best to follow Jesus and shine his light, giving everything I got to do it, and I get a flat tire on the way to work. Anybody ever got a flat tire on the way to work? And you just come on. What's that about? I was in church last week. I changed dirty diapers in the nursery. Come on. I got a flat tire, and and then and then my air conditioner goes out, or my teenager gets sassy mouth with me today. Anybody? Anybody? Um, Or my or my my boss tells me I don't have a job anymore, or I get a bad report at the doctor, or I fall into depression, or somebody I love dies. And here we are just trying to, trying to live a Christian life. And bear fruit and all these weeds just keep popping up. And it's easy for Christian people to be surprised. when I can't believe this is happening. I just can't believe it's happening. And there's a place in the Bible that encourages people to remember something. And I want to show it to you real quick. It's in 1 Peter And Peter was talking to some people going through some stuff in life. I want you to see what he wrote. Put the first Peter text up there. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial that you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. And what he's saying is don't go, man, I cannot believe this happened. I can't believe it. He would say, why can't you believe it? Because living as a Christian means that you are constantly battling the forces of evil and the forces of good. There are always going to be weeds there. And if you get surprised by it, if you think, well this isn't normal for weeds to show up, and here's what happens. It tends to have the potential to move you away from God. Now everybody listen very carefully to this. That when we're battling the weeds, that are natural and normal, what that text just said, and we go, why can't even believe this happening? There is this sense, well, if that's what happens to me as a Christian, dude, I don't want to have anything to do with it. If I give my life to Christ and now i got to deal with weeds, man, I don't want to deal with that. Now, although I understand, that, I want you to listen how insane that argument is. Do you think walking away from Jesus will present... Less weeds to you? No. And so the very first strategy doesn't mean that we like the weeds. It doesn't mean that we enjoy the weeds. It's okay to be mad at the weeds. It's okay to be frustrated with weeds. But don't ever be surprised by the weeds. It is normal. That's what it's like to be a Christian. You battle good and evil every day. Now let me throw you another strategy. And that is this, make sure that you don't allow yourself to be influenced by the weeds. And this is a challenge for those of us who are in Christ. It's really a challenge for new Christians. And so if you've come to Jesus over the last year or so, I I want you to hear this because this is a challenge for you in your life, make sure that the presence of evil doesn't suck you in to its system because it will try. Jesus tried to prevent that with his disciples. And if you're familiar at all with the chronology of the end of Jesus's life, you know the night before he died, he prayed for people. And one of the groups of people he prayed for was his disciples, the, the, the 11, because Judas was gone. And he prayed for the 11. And I don't think if you ever saw what he prayed for the 11, but what he prayed for is what we're talking about right here. Let me show you one of the sentences that came up in the prayer. Jesus was praying <laughs> to his father, and he says, my prayer is not that you take them, that's the 11 disciples, it's not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Here's what Jesus was saying is they're gonna be in the world where good and evil battle. They're gonna live in the world where there are weeds, but God don't let them become of the world. And there's a difference between that. Because as long as you're here and alive, you're gonna live in the world. You're in the midst of the weeds, but don't allow the weeds to suck you in to where you become of the world. And it can happen like that. If you're not careful I remember one day I, I got out of the, the house I was heading to, to work I jumped in the car And I turned the radio on And I love talk radio Drives my wife insane So when she's not in the car I turn talk radio on Because I like to argue with them And I turn the radio on And I mean I'm, I'm 50 yards from my house And whatever station I landed on I thought I like that It was the talk radio And I liked the topic And I was yeah 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 I was in it I was in it And it wasn't maybe a mile later that they said something that I deemed to be, man, that's really raunchy. And so I turned it off. I don't want that in my mind. The next day when I got up for work and I jumped out in the car and took off again, I thought, I wonder if that station that I liked will be on again, Whether whether, maybe it won't be as, as raunchy. And I turned it on. I started listening to it, and I was into it, I locked that station, and then they said something that I thought was inappropriate, and in my mind I thought, well, maybe they would just kinda get past it, and so I left it on, and then pretty soon it got, crossed the line for me, and I turned it off, and when I turned it off, I've never forgotten this. When I turned it off, I realized that on the second day, I had driven a little farther. Now, I can't remember how many days that went on, but what I remember the most is the day that I pulled into the church parking lot where I worked, and I was about to turn the key off on the car, and I realized that I had made my way all the way to work without turning it off. I had become of the world. Jesus said, be careful with that. And some of y'all right now are looking at me and saying, dude, I would have never, ever turned that radio back on, okay? I wouldn't have done that, preacher, not me. Okay, good for you. Let me ask you some questions. Would your language ever border on being inappropriate because it is seen as normal at your workplace? Would your views of hot-button moral issues ever lean more toward the trajectory of modern culture rather than the unchanging truths that the Bible teaches? Would you ever compromise consistent physical gathering in worship with the church family because you had other things to do? See, my goal is not to make any of us guilty. That's not my point here. I just want to present the understanding that we constantly evaluate whether or not we are being sucked into the culture of an evil society. Is that happening anywhere? You've got to be in the world, okay? You can't be out of the world. You've got to live in the world. There's weeds everywhere. But are the weeds making you become of them, are you allowing that to happen at any portion of your life? Because Jesus said, that's what it's like to be a Christian. Because you're going to get temptations all the time to be sucked into the weeds and sucked into the value systems and sucked into the behavior of an evil world. And it's going to be all around you and it's never going to go away. And what's like it being a Christian is you battle those every day. You don't, you don't drop your guard. Now I want to show you something technical in the parable that when I saw it, I mean it was breathtaking to me. So Jesus told this story about the weeds and he told it to a large group of people so if you went back and read Matthew 12 and 13, you'd find out there's this mass of people, and Jesus is teaching them. There were so many people that he had to get in a boat and push away from the shore a little bit because they were crowding him. And so all these people, and he told them these parables, and one of them was the one we're talking about. He told him the parable of the weeds. Now, what we find out is that when that scene was all over with, I don't know how long their worship services lasted then, but when it was over with, Jesus takes his disciples, and they go into a house somewhere. And now we went from a massive crowd, and now it's just Jesus and his closest guys. And they ask him this question. They said, dude, what was that thing about the weeds about? And Jesus then began to explain it. And with the crowd, he just told the story. And with the 12, he said, let me tell you exactly what it means. And when he got into the battle of good and evil, and where evil can influence you and you allow evil to suck you in if you're not careful, I want you to, I want you to see how Jesus described what would happen about that. And I'm gonna show it to you. In chapter 13, a little bit later in the chapter He said, The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed, see this, weed out of his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Now, everybody put your thinking cap on and stay with me for a second here because he's saying at the end of the world, Jesus will come, him and his angels and his servants, and they will get rid of the weeds. They will get rid of the weeds that you and I have been fighting our whole life. Thank God he's gonna get rid of the weeds. But look where the weeds are. Weed out of his kingdom. That means that the weeds who've been influenced by evil will be right here, right in this room. Among us will be those who belong to the evil kingdom. They will be here. Now, there's a couple of views about that. One of those is that what they, some scholars believe what Jesus is saying is that there will be imposters in the church throughout the ages. There'll be people among us who we think are the real deal and they're not the real deal at all. And some people believe Jesus is saying that he's gonna come and he's gonna get rid of the imposters. And I don't know about that. I don't know if I've ever met any imposters. Um, But I'll tell you what, I've seen some of the crazy evangelists on TV and I'm thinking, Lord, help us, okay? Am I it, huh? Huh? And I I don't know if that's what he's talking about. Let me tell you the other angle that a lot of people believe, and I I tend to think that's what he's talking about, is that he's talking about those of us who love Jesus, and we want to follow Jesus, and we want to serve Jesus. We're real about this, and we drop our guard, and we become of the world while still being here. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Do not allow the weeds to influence you. Now I wanna send you off with kind of an encouraging strategy about the weeds and I want you to see it this way. I I don't want you to be discouraged by the weeds. Because what you've heard is truth, okay? What's it like to be a Christian? Well, I'm gonna have to battle evil every day on this earth, and I'm gonna get tired of the weeds. Just let me see a show of hands. Any of y'all ever been like, I'm done with the weeds? Anybody, huh, yeah? Can I just have a week with no weeds? Has anybody prayed that? Some of y'all thinking, dude, I'll take five minutes, okay? I'll take five minutes. And so Jesus ends the parable by explaining that when he returns, he will deal a final death blow to the weeds. Can anybody say amen to that, okay? He says, I'm gonna come, and I'm gonna do away with the weeds, and for those who've been faithfully fighting those weeds for your whole life, you will be immensely rewarded for it. So look at how Jesus told his disciples that part when he talked to them in the house. Look at how he said it. He said, they will throw them, referring to the weeds, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now check out the next part. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let him hear. I love that last sentence. It was used in Bible times to say, Come on, pay attention. Okay, here's how my dad would say it: "Eyeball me, boy." Anybody have a dad like that? Eyeball me, boy. Don't miss this. And here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying to those of you who battle evil, you you face the force of good. You're in all that conflict all the time. He's saying, "I'm going to take care of this someday." So you keep on fighting. You keep on fighting. You keep on fighting. Don't be discouraged. You're gonna win. Why on earth would you quit when you know that you're gonna win in the end? That's what he's saying. Now, I wanna, I wanna share something with you that I've shared before. And there's gonna be some people in the room that as soon as I start this, you're gonna say, I know what he's gonna talk about because I've talked about this before. And I, I labored, I really did. I got some inputs from some people and, and thought through this um, this week, should I really share this because I already shared this with a lot of people. But there's gonna be some people that have never heard this. And the more I thought about it, I just thought, man, this is exactly what this parable is. And I tend to think there's probably some people that need this today. So I wanna tell you a parable. It's a parable because it has an earthly feel to it. I'm gonna tell you a story of something that could really happen in the world. We could see it happening. And then when we get to the end of it, you're gonna see that it has a spiritual point at the end. The parable, probably the reason I like it the most, deals with a dad and his son. And the two guys built an incredible bond with each other. And I love that whole concept because I have a bond with my three kids. And so whenever I hear that kind of story, I think I like that. And what bonded this, this, this guy and his son together was that they had an activity that they participated in together and they became very, very good at it. It was a bit of an unusual activity. They collected art. They would find paintings and they'd say, man, that's a nice painting and that's a nice... And they would actually buy these things. They started out at rummage sales, and then they started searching for some real pieces of art, and it just kept getting more and more—not only quality or quantity-wise, but quality-wise. And towards the end of their story, they actually were—I mean, we're talking Picasso and Van Gogh, and Rimm, we're talking real things here. And they did it together as dad and son and he just bonded their life together so much. They had so much art that the old man had to build another room on the back of the house and it was this large gallery where all these paintings were hung and the old man and his son would often sit in that room and they'd have maybe a piece of pie at the end of dinner at night and they'd kick back and they'd, they'd just like, oh, remember when we got that one? Man, I didn't think we'd ever get that one, man. We got it, and they just they would just love and reminisce and bond their life together and my it just, life just couldn't get any better at all and then and then the call came, and the son was called off to war, and so they sent their boy off to war, and the old man would sit in that room at night and long for the day when his his son would come back home, and they could resume this activity of theirs, and it just went day after day after day until the unthinkable happened, and the son was killed in battle. I mean, it tore the guy up. It tore him up, and he would sit back in that gallery in evenings, and he would look at the pieces of art, and he would weep over the loss of his son that he wouldn't have him... There with him anymore. Just break his heart, and then one day, in the the gloomiest point that he could get, there was a, a knock on the door, and he went to the door and opened it. It was a young man there, and introduced himself as he said, "Sir, I was I was a friend of your son. We were in the war together. We were in the foxholes together, and and uh, I, I just wanted to come and meet you because I I need to tell you something that." that your son died saving me, that I'm the one that got shot and it was your son that picked me up and carried me to safety and while he carried me, he was, he was shot and killed. He said, well, I've recovered now, I'm back home and I know a lot about you because your son told me all about the art, and I know, I know a whole lot about that and I, I've, I've come to give you something because I'm not a painter, I don't know how to do that but I, I, I put together a painting as best I could of what your son looked like, and I want to give that to you. And he handed him this painting of his son. It was amateurish, wasn't good at all. And the dad took that painting back in the gallery, and he took all those paintings down, everyone in the room, all, all these enormously expensive, took them all down, put them out in, in, a, in a shed somewhere, and he hung the picture of his son. And for the rest of the old man's life, he sat in that gallery and looked at the only thing on the wall was that son. When he died, he had instructions in his will that all the art was to be sold at auction, and so so collectors from all over the world came for this this uh, this incredible auction, and so they all gathered in this in big, beautiful hall, and all these pieces of art were, were up on, on the stage with sheets over them, and the auctioneer came in and announced, we're, we're going to start the auction now, and he went to the first piece of art, and he, he pulled the sheet off, and it was the picture of the sun. And you could feel kind of this grimace in the room, what is that? We didn't come for that. What is that about? And the auctioneer said, okay, we're going to start here. Are there bids? And nobody would bid. And the auctioneer said, we got we to sell this before we move on. And, and finally somebody said, I'll give you $10 only just to get the thing going. And so, so finally the guy won the picture for $10. And then the auctioneer announced that the sale is now over. There was a gasp in the crowd. What do you mean Over. And the auctioneer said, The will specifically states that whoever takes the sun gets it all. And that's the message of the parable of the weeds. When you fight every day with evil, make sure you take the sun. Make sure you stay with the Sun. Make sure you keep the Sun. Make sure you don't walk away from the Sun. Make sure you embrace the Sun with everything that you have. And then one day, one glorious day, the Father will see to it that you get it off. Don't ever stop fighting. Father, I thank you for beautiful stories that down deep have meanings of that which can encourage and motivate us to walk with you. And so I just want to pray right now for all of us who fight the weeds. Please hold us, embrace us, strengthen us. And help us to never, ever let go of the Son. And it's his name that we pray, amen.